You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Christmas morning got nothing on how we feel today because the NFL season is here and real actual football that counts is upon us. We are only 20 minutes away from kickoff of the 2022 NFL season, and it starts with the juggernaut matchup between the Bills and the Rams. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We got to get you caught up for all of it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. All right, everybody's talking. Everybody's talking about the Bills, so let's get some expertise from Sal Capaccio. You can check him out on WGR 550 Sports Radio. Bills reporter, you're out in L.A., Sal, and uh, this team went from a few years ago feeling like they were invisible and just at the bottom of the barrel to now being most people's Super Bowl favorite. Uh, Any indication on how they are handling the spotlight that is now on them? Yeah, I think it's really just kind of been the same for this team because – when you go back to when Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean took over this franchise in 2017, one of the thing that, things that really stood out to me over their first year or two was how consistent they were about everything they did, guys. Um, you know, I mean, it didn't matter if they won, they lost, the highs, the lows. They kind of stayed in the same, same place, if you will. And I think that there's no difference here, right? This is a team now that has been to the AFC Championship game. They came 13 seconds away last year from making it to another one. This is nothing new to have these spotlights I think to be in this game is a little bit new, but you know these guys have kind of been through it now. And Sean McDermott, the way he's built this culture, it's no different for them, no matter if they're in this game or a 1 o'clock on Sunday against the Jets. I want to talk about the fans because I'm worried. And <laughs> it's the first time since 92 that the Bills are opening a season as Super Bowl favorites. I'm high on the Bills. I'm high on the Bills. I'm high on Josh Allen. But I worry sometimes, and Fitz, you remember I did this with Browns fans a couple years ago. I got so worried that they went from we have refrigerators that automatically unlock around the city for one win to we better have 10 wins in a playoff berth or it's a failure. And I'm only just worried about Bills fans that this is Super Bowl or bust and they can't enjoy this season without the stress of that projection hanging over them. How are you feeling that fans are taking the expectations for this year? I love the point, Sarah, and I'll say this. Like, we've actually had – I asked our listeners on my show the other day, like, is it easier to be a fan when you don't have those expectations that, mm. hey, when we win, it's house money, or is it easier when you are expected to win and you have this great team you can look forward to, but, oh, my God, if you lose a game, it's the end of the world. And there's no doubt there's a lot of that. And, yeah, you should be worried about Bill's fan psyche because it's pretty fragile, right? We've been through a lot <laughs> yeah. in our lives. We've been yeah. through, I, I, I've, lived, I've lived through wide right. I've lived through home run throwback. I lived through no goal in hockey, right? Whatever sport it is, we do not have a championship in Western New York counting the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres. And, you know, this team is starving for one. I should say this city, this region is starving for one. Here you have the best chance that they've had, and they've had a lot of, you know, good teams since, you know, the 90 Super Bowl teams. They've had some teams the last few years, I should say, they were pretty good, but the best chance in 30 years to win a Super Bowl. So the psyche is fragile. There's no doubt about it. But I will tell you, we're weathered. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we, we've lived through these storms before, and Bills fans know how to handle the ups and downs that are going to come along with it. And I will say this, there's always the kind of expectation of being disappointed, and that's, that's sad until you get one, right? you got to get one, and people are just um, – I can't imagine what it's going to be like if they actually do do this thing. Oh, I, I, I can't imagine. It makes my heart warm for Bills fans because you mentioned all the suffering, and obviously we all feel that. So uh, at some point, if you're looking at it from the other side, though, what's the one fatal flaw for this Bills team? You know, I don't know if it's a fatal flaw necessarily that's outright, to be honest, but I do think there's questions, and that is – Look, I mean, Josh Allen has a new offensive coordinator for the, for the first time in his career. 
Uh, you go back to that 2018 draft, and you have Josh, and you have Sam Darnold, and you have, obviously, Josh Rosen, Lamar. Everybody has had a uh, changeover at offensive coordinator in some way, shape, or form. Not Josh Allen. He's been with Brian Dable for four years now. He has a new offensive coordinator. Of course, it's Ken Dorsey. Now, look, he's been his quarterback's coach for the last three years. Josh gave him his endorsement. You know, he's um, he's kind of handpicked by this organization to do this, but it's also his first time tonight ever calling plays at the NFL level. That is something I think we're all going to watch for. Does the offense take a step back? Does it skip a beat at all because of that? So I think that's one thing we're all kind of a little bit, you know, wondering about. The other thing is, hey, look, they have an all-pro cornerback in Tredavious White that is on the pub. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got hurt last Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving night towards ACL. They have a rookie in Kyer Elam, another rookie, sixth-round pick out of Villanova, uh, Christian Benford. They're going to get some time. Dane Jackson, they're going against tonight, for example, of course, right? Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup. They have to face Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle in a few weeks. Like, what does that look like the first four weeks, at least, without Tredavious White, and can they kind of hold that fort down? It's Sal Capaccio of WGR 550 Sports Radio, Bills reporter and Bills sideline reporter here with us on Spain and Fitz. You can follow him at Sal Sports. There isn't a glaring weakness, but one thing that stood out to me is actually a specificity about one of their strengths, and that's Josh Allen against zone, particularly going to be on display tonight because the Rams utilized zone coverage at the second highest rate in the NFL last season, and Josh Allen was in the bottom half of the league in QBR completion percentage and yards per attempt versus the zone. Do you anticipate that that's just a part of his growth as a quarterback as he continues to become a more veteran player, or is that something that teams will key in on and try to take advantage of? I do think teams will still try to continue to do that. There's no doubt, right? I mean, you kind of go with what has worked, and other teams have done that against the Bills. You know, a lot of teams now around the league, they play that too-high zone look. The Bills do it a lot. It's trying to really keep everything in front of you, not let the big play happen. And look, under Brian Dable, the Bills had a really good scheme to have man beaters. You know, they were great at man coverage. Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis and Cole Beasley, and they still have those types of receivers. But I think one thing that's been incorporated into the Bills' offense this year in the offseason and they've talked a lot about this, is allowing for more yards after catch. And I think this goes right to your point, Sarah, which is if you're going to zone up this team, they're going to try and get these guys in spaces where they can catch the ball and get yards after catch. It's not just trying to fit it into a tight window, which I think a lot of the offense was designed to do. So when you went against a zone defense, it really wasn't necessarily conducive to doing that. They did a lot of things against man. Get to a spot, beat your man, I'll get the ball there, get out of bounds, get down. Now it's I think you're going to see a little bit more of out of the backfield, a little more usage on the crossing routes, uh, you know, maybe five, ten yards downfield at the most, and then let those guys do their work. And I think that's going to help Josh a lot because that will allow him to get even easier completions to help that. You mentioned more depth in the backfield. This is a running back room that looks really talented right now. Uh, some questions about whether James Cook can break through and actually get any playing time. Are they going to try and run the football more? You know, I, I – I think there's a perception out there that Sean McDermott, defensive coach, Brian Dable moved on. They get James Cook in the second round. They're all of a sudden going to go a little old school and try and run the ball. I, I don't see it. I, I think that this team, knowing Ken Dorsey and what he's said and the way they've constructed this roster and this offense, they're still going to attack. Will they run it more? Maybe. I don't think it's a necessarily like edict, let's run it more. I think it's more of a game plan situation. What I think they want to do, though, is to be able to control the game better on the ground at times than they have been able to in the last few years. Last year, the Bills lost to the Colts the only time they got blown out. Every other loss was very, very close. The only time they got blown out, Sean McDermott kept referencing they controlled the game with the running game. That is ideal. That's what you want to do. I think the Bills want to do that at times. It doesn't mean you have to come out and run the ball 50 times. It means when you're in a situation to run the ball, you need to do it efficiently and effectively to control the game that way to take it off of Josh Allen. So 
I'm interested to see what they do with James Cook. You know, my colleague on Buffalo Radio here in Buffalo, um, Steve Tasker, you guys know who he is. He, um, yeah. he actually made a comment recently that said, and he was, it was interesting, he said he thinks that maybe they didn't utilize James Cook a lot in the preseason because they're kind of trying not to show him because they're going to show him off a little bit more when it comes to the regular season. And he's really, really high on James Cook. So I think that's a really good mystery tonight that might be unlocked. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Sal Capaccio. You can follow him at Sal Sports. Whenever we have local guys on or local gals, I like to hear from the ground level. So is there I, – I already saw a gender reveal from a Bills fan jumping on a table that then revealed the, the gender of their child. What other stories or craziness is happening around Buffalo as this season gets underway? So during training camp um, – Dawson Knox, I think, like Josh Allen signed his neck or something. It was something that happened. I don't know. So now people are asking, like, Josh Allen to sign their neck. And, like, it, it, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, all these different kinds of um, ways to do autographs. And we've heard stories over the years. But that's something that's been uh, pretty cool. You know, obviously, guys, you know, we're known for being pretty crazy here at Buffalo and yeah. Bill's Mafia and all the different things, all the different things they do. I went down last night uh, to Hermosa Beach, and I will tell you, it was a sea of red, white, and blue. So I don't know what to expect. It was incredible last night, and there's just parties going on all over the place. But, you know, the craziness, I think you already see it. There's nothing that's really – I mean, if it's going to be crazy, it's going to be out there on social media or whatever. These Bills fans kind of puff their chest out about a, a lot about it. So um, that's one thing. I mean, people have been having fun a lot with Isaiah McKenzie. You know, he was on that choir that was on America's Got Talent and a lot of the NFL players. He's a dancer. He calls himself the face of the franchise. He's really funny. <laughs> Um, you know, so it's a lot of a lot of the, uh, the the hijinks, I guess, that go along with this team. That's that's the that's the quirky part about this team that a lot of people don't get. They're just a really good bunch of personalities. They have fun with each other. Josh is considered the prankster. Isaiah McKenzie is considered the biggest trash talker on the team. He gets under the skin of all of his teammates, but they love him. And I think that's a big allure to this team, to the fan base. You can follow him on Twitter at Sal Sports. Sal, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much for the insight. Enjoy the game. All right, guys. Anytime. Thank you very much. Great stuff from Sal also. Want to keep you updated. WNBA, the Connecticut Sun, up 16-12 on the Chicago Sky. About four minutes to go in the first. We will let you know as that game progresses. In the meantime, as we are only minutes away from kickoff, seems like the Bills are the clear favorite in the AFC East, but who? how does the rest of the division shape up? We'll tell you next as we preview the AFC East on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The football season is about to be underway, and Twitter's very upset about Von Miller's haircut. And this is where we are at this point. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel. Ladies, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Obviously, we want to keep you updated gently on something going on right now. The WNBA, it's early, Sarah. It is, it is mm-hmm. early. But uh, right now, it is 18-12. Uh, the Connecticut Sun are up on Chicago with 3.07 to go in the first. So not not the start that this show was hoping for. Uh, you know, Bad but, call on a clean alley Quigley block. Obviously, the refs have it out for the sky. They're going to have to beat two teams tonight, and that's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming off My of completely the, unbiased uh, opinion. I'm, I'm coming off watching the <laughs> Tim Donaghy uh, Netflix documentary, so now mm-hmm. like every time I see any going call, on. I'm like, uh-huh, yep. what is going on? Uh, we do know on the NFL side what's going on, and that's it. The season is underway as we will get Rams and Bills kicking off any minute at this point. The pageantry's done. The banner has been raised. OBJ 
part of the banner raising ceremony holding up a Super Bowl trophy. So uh, kind of a cool moment to see him back with everybody. Although seems again, Twitter upset Chris Collinsworth did not slide into the broadcast. Yeah. broadcast. So, End of an era, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel. It, it, you know, it just feels weird to look up and see Tariko and Collinsworth together. In the meantime, uh, what doesn't feel weird is to see the Bills at the top of the uh, Vegas odds when it comes to who's going to win the AFC East. And it's not even close. Like, the Bills are a massive favorite to win this, right? So then it comes down to the rest of the division. I think you and I both agree that the Bills are going to win their division. I would go as far as to say that I feel very confident that the Bills are in a race with the Chargers to be the best team in the AFC, and I give the slight advantage to the Bills. Where are you on the Bills with the rest of the conference? The Bills are my favorite. Okay. I have them making the Super Bowl. I have Josh Allen winning MVP. Um, there are other players that might be better players, but I think when you have a combination of a guy who hasn't won it, on a team that I think is going to have one of the best offenses and one of the best records in the league, and you're that team's quarterback and you continue to get better, I think he has a really good shot at it. They've got the offensive line, the quarterback, great secondary, great pass rush, and I believe in their coaching staff. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Brian Dayball gone and whether Ken Dorsey just immediately picks up where he left off. He's been Josh Allen's quarterback's coach for the last three seasons, so I imagine that they'll just be a nice straight through line from one to the next but you never know Uh, but I'm really high on the Bills I think another factor on the Bills is that they're about to beat up on this division we're going to talk about and when you only have one team that gets a home field uh, gets a week one bye and home field advantage throughout the, the course of the playoffs the path to the Super Bowl is much easier if you can beat up on a division that might not be as good and you can get yourself the first the, the top overall seed. It's an advantage to me because, frankly, the rest of the division I'm out on. And uh, not out on to be at least competent, but out on to be playoff caliber football teams. The, the Dolphins, uh, according to Vegas, are number two, then the Patriots, then the Jets. I will say that that's a ranking I actually agree with. And I think that the moat between Man, the Patriots and the Dolphins again. is just, like the Patriots are not going to be good this year. Like that. That's uh, I, I, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised because there are plenty of people who are still putting the Patriots above the Dolphins. I thought you might be with them. I thought you might believe in just if it's Belichick and we got some development out of a young quarterback and you believe that Mac Jones is going to take the next step. Uh, but I'm with you. I think the Dolphins are going to be better. Yeah, I, I think the Dolphins have one glaring question mark, and that's what are they doing at quarterback? And we all know yeah. that. Much like we've talked about, Philadelphia has one glaring question mark. But uh, I, I, it, realistically, for me, even if Tua is just okay, then the Dolphins will be fine. I just don't think the Dolphins are a great football team. The Patriots, uh, I believe that the loss of Josh McDaniels and whatever they are doing at this point with their coordinator position just feels strange. And it feels like they, they have no direction on what they're they're trying to accomplish, what their identity is right now. And I know that Bill fix, fixes everything. That's a concept. But at some point, that damn breaks. And just like I've said, you know, I think you can put too much on the plates of people like Brady. You can put too much on the plate of Bill, whether he did it himself or not. I, the, the Patriots have too many obstacles to overcome when it comes to talent and when it comes to the way they're running everything. I, I just think they take a step back this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think I think you said the moat is pretty big between them or the gap is pretty big. I don't see that. I think they're both going to be around the same and it's going to be a real tight battle for second and third. But I I agree with you. I think that Mac Jones I think will still take a step forward. I think there'll be some some decent offense that they'll be able to scrape together. The defense is a real issue. 
uh, losing J.C. Jackson. Um, you've got a, a probably one of the worst DB groups in the league. I just I think the Patriots defensively are going to be such a disappointment, making it all the more difficult on Mac Jones and that offense that, to your point, doesn't as of now seem to have a true leader and has a defensive coach who might be calling plays. Yeah, it's it, it just feels disjointed. Maybe that's the right way to say it. And, and I'm with you. I, I think the reason I think there's a, a moat is because the Dolphins, uh, in my mind, still have the opportunity to be like a seven-win team. Like They're pretty good. They're not great. I don't think that the, the Patriots get to that level. And, and that's – like I understand that it's blasphemy what I'm saying because it's Bill Belichick and like it never goes wrong. I just I think right now the Patriots are close. Sorry, Kevin Winter, buddy. Uh, I, I think the Patriots are closer to the Jets than they are to the rest of the division. It, it, the wheels fall off. Mm. I may end up regretting this because I'm uncomfortable with how saying anything that's anti-Bill Belichick because he's a, a genius and we all know well, that. Well, you've already taken out Tom Brady and who did you take out yesterday? Oh, yeah, that was the Packers yeah. and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, so know. I guess you might as well just make it a clean sweep of the most uh, you know, respected and uh, – continuously successful people in the league that is well, look it's it's a strategy right like I, it's, a, <laughs> it it's a bold strategy cotton let's see how it plays out uh, the, the jets i keep saying this i won't wear everybody out on it again but i think the jets are a better football team than they were last year and they still end up with the worst record in the nfl I, it, it's just too much the schedule is too much to overcome i i'm flacco's not going to help them then zach wilson's got to come in they got to figure out what they have a quarter the, the I, jets are a mess i haven't decided on my basement yet Ooh. um it could be the Jets. It could be the Falcons. Uh, they're not going to be good. Um, and I worry <laughs> about Wilson and if he's only gone for four games or longer than that. And this is a massive rebuild. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still undecided on just how bad the Jets will be. Um, but they aren't going to be good. And the bottom of this division is certain. So far, the only prediction that I can think of that we're vastly different on is your division. So I'm starting to be uncomfortable. Like, my shot at being better than you at picking this could all come down to the Vikings, and I feel less comfortable about that today mm. than I did yesterday. Uh, we are underway, by the way, Sunday Night Football, the opening drive of the NFL season, and uh, Buffalo taking on the Rams. We'll keep you updated on that game. Plus, our next guest will tell us how the relationship dissolved between Russ and the Seahawks on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. As we get excited for the NFL weekend and a look at some of the new faces in new places, one of the big ones is Russell Wilson and what it's going to look like as he suits up for the Broncos. But what happened that resulted in Russ heading to Denver? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now, ESPN Seahawks reporter Brady Henderson, who has a story up on ESPN.com, giving us a ton of insight into what exactly happened between Russ and the Seahawks. Tell us the beginning of the end, because, man, we heard about this for many years, and the actual split uh, was a long time coming. Yeah, it really was, and thank you for having me, first of all, Sarah. But, yeah, this this was many years in the making, and I think what most people already knew about this situation was that Russell Wilson was unhappy, uh, and he wanted out, and, and I think his unhappiness dates back several years, uh, and as the story lays out, it, it really gets into the fact that he felt like he was being held back uh, by Pete Carroll's offensive philosophy, by some of the personnel moves they made uh, and didn't make in the, in the case of – you know, building what he considered to be a suitable offensive line. 
the fact that they really had waning playoff success uh, since they went to you know, the back-to-back Super Bowls and, and won one of them. And so, you know, Russell Wilson is, is a guy who was very much conscious uh, of his legacy and really has been since before he entered the NFL. Uh, he had a goal of, of winning three Super Bowls, and he wrote that down. And, and that uh, just kind of shows you how ambitious uh, he has been uh, really his entire life. And, and he just felt like the Seahawks weren't putting him in position to reach his goals. And, you know, from the Seahawks' standpoint – um, you know, th- this this was not a case of, I think a lot of people might assume that this was just a case of, of Wilson wanting out and the Seahawks not being able to convince him to change his mind and convince him to stay. It, it was not it was not the case at all. The Seahawks didn't have to trade him if they didn't want to. They had to have their own reasons for this. And, and one of those reasons was, as I get into in the story, that, you know, they, they felt like his escapability uh, and thus his overall um, just ability was waning. And, you know, so much of his game has been built around extending plays and creating on the move and escaping pressure. And there's people in the building who just felt like that was waning. And, uh, you know, knowing that he'd be up for a contract suspension pretty soon, they just ultimately got around to the idea that this was the time to do it. It's interesting because part of the report is that the Seahawks tried to trade him in the past. Why did it not get done then versus now? Yeah, the, the time you're referring to was uh, 2018, uh, early in that offseason. Uh, the Seahawks placed the call to the Browns, uh, inquiring about uh, whether the Browns would be interested in, in trading Wilson for the number number one overall pick. Uh, the Browns, that was a hard no from them. I, from what I understand, that conversation lasted um, only a couple minutes, and it was a hard no. So the conversation really didn't go anywhere, except for the fact that it got back to Mark Rogers. Uh, Russell Wilson's agent, and um, that ruffled some feathers inside Russell Wilson's camp. And then um, that was, uh, I think, a big part of, of the fraying of the relationship is is Russell Wilson and his camp wondering how committed the Seahawks uh, were to him. But uh, that didn't happen because the Browns had no interest in it. And, and I don't know if it would have happened. You know, Pete Carroll, he still would have had to sign off on that. And as the story gets into you know, for a long time, he was very resistant to the idea of, of trading Russell Wilson because he, he felt like, um, you know, he could manage the issues. He could manage, you know, the trade drama as that built up over the last few years. And Carroll, from what I told, felt like he could manage that waning mobility. Um, and so it took a while for Carroll and others in the building to come around, and they eventually did. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to ESPN Seahawks reporter Brady Henderson. You can follow him at Brady Henderson on Twitter. You know, I I think it's very admirable for a player to have goals and to want to be the best. That's going to push them to work hard. But do you think that at times Russ lost sight of the fact that his best shot at an MVP was as many wins as possible in addition to great play and forcing sometimes the touchdown passes or – you know, trying to let himself cook even when the system wasn't designed for it might have actually gotten in the way of, of getting closer to that goal? Well, sir, there was one play in particular where the Seahawks felt that way, or at least they wondered uh, if that was the case. And it, it was the, the play I mentioned in the story was uh, it came in the middle of the 2020 season. It was a game at SoFi Stadium against the Rams. Um, and at that point, you know, they had gone into that season with the plan to let Russ cook, and, and they were doing that. And he got off to this fantastic start, had him squarely in the early season MVP lead, 
Um, and then, you know, their defense was terrible at that time, and, and you know, they started to run into trouble. And uh, Wilson hit a, a really bad turnover funk. And I think it was 10 over four games, and, and one of those turnovers was an interception that he threw when he had a ton of room to run, wide open field, bypassed all those rushing yards, and uh, threw kind of a dangerous pass back across his body, and it was picked off in the end zone. And, and there was people in the building who wondered if he may have been pressing uh, in that case, you know, trying to win MVP. Now, I didn't hear of any other examples of that. Um, that, that was the only example I heard. But I think in, in that case, there was people who certainly wondered if, if the MVP stuff is, is kind of getting in the way of, of um, you know, winning. Now, you know, the counterpoint to that is, look, Wilson has a legendary work ethic, and he's got a whole performance team that he spends a lot of money on, and he, he makes a lot of investments in his body. And so a lot of the things that he was doing – it was with the goal of, of winning games. And I, I believe that winning MVP was secondary to that in his mind. I think he would trade, you know, I think he would rather win championships than MVPs. Uh, but certainly, as he has said on the record, you know, the MVP is, is an important award to him. Did you get any indication in the reporting of this of how Russ and Pete Carroll, or if they ever sat down and just tried to work it out through these processes? Well, you know, from what I have heard, I mean, I, I think that they did early after the 2020 season, you know, when he, um, after the Super Bowl, he publicly vented and, and talked about how he, you know, his pass protection needs to be better and that he wants more say uh, in personnel decisions like some of the other elite quarterbacks have. Um, you know, he was very mad at that time. And from what I understand, he and Pete Carroll did have a conversation after that that kind of took the temperature down on that situation. But, um, you know, this past off season, from from what I have heard, is there was, you know, the Seahawks didn't really attempt to say, hey, what's it going to take to make you happy? Um, you know, what do you want to do to stay? What do we need to do to make this work? Those conversations were more about the possibility of a trade. And so I think Wilson's side feels like, you know, they they were ready at that point to move on as well. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Brady Henderson about his story on the split between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. So just take out your crystal ball. It's three years from now. Are the Seahawks looking back at this and saying, we made the right decision. Russ wasn't the guy anymore. We got ourselves on the way to whatever was next, even if it might have been painful in the moment. Or are they saying, wow, we made a mistake. Uh, Russ still had it and we weren't ready yet to move on. Oh boy, I I, uh, I this is not the good radio uh, answer, but I'm I'm sort of going to give you a cop out and say it's going to depend on whether or not they find their quarterback uh, in this next year's draft. And you know, look, they got Drew Locke back in that trade. Um, I, I don't think the book is totally written on Drew Locke because I think there was some bad luck involved, both with his struggles in Denver and also not winning the quarterback competition with Geno Smith. I, I think he's going to see the field at some point. He's going to have a chance to show them that he could be that guy. But I think it's more likely than not that they're going to be finding that next quarterback uh, or trying to find their next quarterback in April's draft. They've got the extra draft capital from the Wilson trade, um, you know, to try to get that guy to where, you know, if they're not good this year, if they don't get good quarterback play this year, they're not going to be good. They're going to be picking high. So they're going to have all the ammo they need to move up probably as far as they need to, uh, to get that quarterback. And, um, you know, they've got, you know, they obviously found Wilson. They they will tell you that, you know, I've heard from, from several sources that 
Um, and it gets into this in the story that, you know, they would have drafted Patrick Mahomes if he had fallen to them in 2017. So I think there is a lot of belief within the building and their ability to find his successor. But as we all know, there's just not, it, that's far from a, a easy thing to do to replace a franchise quarterback, especially one who was as good and as driven and all that as Wilson was. And so um, it's going to depend entirely on, on what their quarterback situation looks like. And also, you know, how much Wilson, how much of his prime years he has left, because obviously that was a big concern of theirs, is, is them feeling like, you know, I, I don't think they thought that it's, the wheels are going to fall off this year or even next year, but, you know, over the next few years, they feel like that mobility is going to continue to wane and, and he's not going to be able to do to, to play the, the style that other quarterbacks who have played, you know, into their 40s uh, have played. A very smart and informed way to say, we'll see, and I respect that. <laughs> I a asked you a question. We'll I asked yeah. you a question without an answer, and you gave me a good one. Hey, Brady, thanks for the time and nice work on the story. Thanks, Brady. Uh, you, you bet. Thank you for having me. Take care. Brady Henderson. You can follow him at Brady Henderson, our ESPN Seahawks reporter. I hope he finally got to make that left turn. You could be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. And yes, I know those were probably hazards. We'll get you caught up on the NFL and the WNBA underway. Plus, we will hear from Dr. Jameis Winston. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right, Fitz, these uh, these calls in this Sky Sun game are getting me a little fired up. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to have to keep my mouth very careful on the old Disney channel here. <laughs> because the words that my brain is thinking are not okay. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Thankfully, this is a tight game. The officials have not defeated the sky, no matter how much they've tried. Uh, we're tied 36 all with about 241 to play in the second quarter. It's Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz getting you ready, getting you ready for a weekend of NFL, getting you ready for what could be a matchup in the WNBA Finals between our basketball teams assuming things uh, you know go okay and uh, we'll give you an update on the NFL that's already started tonight's Thursday night football game bills are up seven nothing in the first quarter Josh Allen just threw an interception uh, a dropped pass by a wide receiver so um, we'll keep you updated on that but we've got some uh, we've got some sound from the NFL that uh, that we wanted to play for you sort of unrelated well at least the first one is to the to, to anything that's coming up but worth playing because it's entertaining and sort of in line with what we've heard in the past from Jameis Winston he keeps everybody guessing uh, and today he decided to give us a lesson in the human body here's what he said I need to work my ankles uh, and you, you got certain things that are, we're, we're all like it's our body is so symmetrical Right, you got you got your wrists, you know. And then you, what are your wrists on the bottom half? Your ankles, you know. You got your shoulders up top. What are your shoulders? Your hips, you know. what I'm saying you got your elbows. What are your elbows? Knees. Your knees, right? Like so. Well, <laughs> uh, it's symmetrical, and you just got to work different parts. Okay, uh, a couple things. One, uh, we all heard the song when we were five years old. Hip bones connected to the thigh bone. I don't think we needed. Uh, I was lesson. going with the head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Dun, dun, yeah, that one too. Head, that one too. Um. Also, the body is not symmetrical at all. Uh, in fact, in many ways, including the 
individual organs that sit on different sides of the body, things like having three uh, lobes of the lung on the right side and just two on the left. Like, there's a lot of different things uh, that that are uh, require us to, to 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 exist. It is required to be asymmetrical for us to even function. Uh, that didn't seem like the point he was trying to make. I think he was trying to tell us we have a top half and a bottom half. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as I said on Around the Horn today, another thing that's symmetrical is 30 touchdowns and 30 picks. Uh, and maybe if you don't know the difference between your ankles and your wrists, that might be why you have some struggles. Uh, oh, as an wow. Quarterback. Wow. Yeah, I, I think. Same. Like, I, I don't know. I don't really know what he was trying to get at 100% Not there, but like. Not a clue. Yeah, just uh, I guess he's training his ankles big time, and, and you know maybe there's maybe there's a workout for that somewhere. I don't know if that makes him a better quarterback. Then train those ankles away, buddy. I truly appreciate the doctor in the menchies underneath the video that said, "Oh man, why didn't they teach us this in medical school?" <laughs> that feels like the sort of thing they, the Southern phrase is "doctor in school." Like anytime somebody's just decided that they could diagnose themselves, they went to doctor in school. It feels like that's what he's done here. He's he's definitely got a, a, an MD from doctoring. Yeah, one hundred percent. Or uh, WebMD, uh, yeah, where yeah, you yeah. know he just googled something, or maybe YouTube. Uh, Aaron Rodgers gets a lot of his information there. Maybe that's where he found out the body was very symmetrical. Uh, more important sound coming from Lamar Jackson today. He has set a deadline on his talks for a contract with the Ravens, and here's what he had to say at his presser today. As of right now, you know we're still talking. You know the week's not over yet, but soon, soon probably be a deadline. Probably be cut off after this week. Or when you say um, deadline, you know, after this week, are we talking, you know, kickoff, or are we talking, you know, Friday, kickoff? I would Saturday? not. Kickoff, I would not be talking about a contract. <laughs> I'm thinking straight Jets around so, kickoff time. So as far as a deadline, on, in your the mind, the end of this week, the end of this week, Friday. 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 How much closer do you feel now, as opposed to when you started this process, maybe at the beginning of training camp or the last few weeks? How much closer do you feel now toward? And a, a potential agreement. Uh, I have no clue. You know, you have to ask the guy who I'm talking to. I'll talk to the gym about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the question, I guess, is uh, does it matter? Do you think the performance will be different? Do you think the results will be different? Do you think it's better for the team and or for Lamar to have it done before? The fans listening to our show are almost completely split fits. Big deal or no deal if he plays the season without a new contract, 51% big deal, 49% no deal. Yeah, I don't think it's it, I don't think it's going to matter to his performance. I, I think it is funny he just said when asked, you know, if he's any closer, he says, "I don't know, you got to talk to the other side." Well, that tells us that he knows exactly what he wants, right? Like he's not really interested in budging at that point or or they're so far apart that he's waiting for them to come closer like he would know usually in that situation an athlete could say well you know I don't know you gotta ask my agent that question since he is his agent he mm. should have a pretty good idea of if they are closer to a negotiation uh, completion than they were you know three four weeks ago so I think it speaks to how much work is left to do on the contract I just don't think it's a big deal for Lamar but I do think Every every contract that gets signed is only going to cost Baltimore more money. Like, do they realistically think that there's a shot that he's not going to be their starting quarterback in the future? Because if they if that's what they think, that's the way they're acting right now. Otherwise, it's just the Bills just going up and up and up to me. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, what's the end goal here for the Ravens that Lamar will give up and take a lesser deal? Doesn't seem like it. Certainly not with the lengths he's gone to continue this fight. And if they do see a future where they say at some point the money's too big, hmm, that's 
a real risky move for a guy who's already won an MVP and gotten them as far as he has. So I, I think it's not a huge deal. I guess I would ask you, you know, Lamar knows that his performance will affect his contract, but I don't think, barring a terrible season, that you believe that he's a guy whose number will go down significantly. So is there any chance he protects his body a little bit? Uh, not, Doesn't run as often? Changes his style even just a little bit? That's a curious question because it seems like he's wired to, to sort of have the I'll be fine no matter anything swagger, which I think a lot of athletes do have. You know, the the concept of I got to protect myself seems to exist for some and not for others. Right. Mm. So I, I don't I don't know with Lamar. It's just stylistically he is who he is. If he starts to limit that portion of his game, then that would limit his effectiveness, which would make everybody a little more cautious. I, I think. He's better off going out playing and seems more likely to just go out playing the way he plays, knowing full well that, you know, the Dak precedent is there. Like Dak got hurt, right. still got a huge deal. I, that, that's that I just I don't think there's a lot of risk for him other than, of course, as I've said before, the God forbid of a career ending injury, which right. is so rare at the quarterback position that I just don't think that's a factor here. He he knows that he's going to get paid one way or the other somehow, some way by somebody. What about uh, not a career ender, but one that significantly changes his ability to be as dynamic of a runner as he is? Yeah, that's a good question. And you're right. That wouldn't be a career ender, but that would be a massive complication. Career changer for him. Yeah. I mean, if it, it suddenly forces him to do things differently. But, yeah, I, I don't know. You're right. That that could. That be... would be the only question mark I would have if I was the Ravens. Not the effort, not the want to, not anything. But is there subconsciously maybe even – a feeling during games of I don't want to make that move because I still got to get my money. Yeah, well, and and as tight as that division is going to be, just the little difference subconsciously could be the difference between winning a division, uh, you know, or or looking at the Bengals win that division. That's right. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Obviously, uh, we've got a couple uh, a couple more hours for that deal to get done. In the meantime, Buffalo up seven nothing. Uh, and the sky and sun tied going into the half. Woo! This one's going to get spicy. Thanks for listening. The entire sky roster is going to be on Freddie Fitzsimmons after the game next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.